Our scripture passage today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 18, beginning in verse 28. Hear God's holy and authoritative word. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and judge him by your own laws. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken, to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen, you may be seated. As we come to God's word, we need his help, so let us begin with a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us, and that you have given us your spirit that we might have understanding, that we might be led into all truth, just as your disciples were this time. Father, would you give us ears to hear, eyes to see? Would you give us wisdom and understanding today as we look to your word? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we come to this part of John's Gospel, it is significantly different than the parallel accounts we get in the other Gospels, and that is that we've skipped over the entire scene at the house of Caiaphas. And of course, during that scene, if we go back and look, Jesus makes the confession that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And so that is the real charge that they want to put Jesus to death for. Unfortunately, as we look at our passage, uh, they don't even have a charge worthy enough to tell Pilate about. And what we begin to see in this passage is the culmination of all of the hypocrisy of the religious leaders coming to a head. As we have seen them not understand who Jesus was, as we see them plot to put him to death, as we see their zeal to silence Jesus and his disciples... 
it comes to a head here as they seek to, to hand Jesus over to the Romans. And their hypocrisy is so highlighted for us in John's gospel. We are going to see in our passage today, kind of our three main headers will be this. We see their religious hypocrisy. We see their judicial hypocrisy. And we learn kingdom truths. We have in this passage this great contrast between the hypocrisy of the religious leaders and the truth of Jesus Christ and what he says as we learn about his kingdom and what kind of king he is. Our passage opens with this, this path, uh, with this setting the stage for us, right? Okay, so we, we get Jesus leaving Caiaphas, the house. They, they just have interrogated him again, and they go in the morning, and they go to Pilate, who we know from the Bible and other sources that Pontius Pilate was the man who ruled over Jerusalem. He ruled over the Jews, and he was a very mm, unpleasant man. He didn't particularly like the Jewish people, and he lorded himself over them. They were an annoyance to him. And as the Jewish people were under Roman rule, there were certain things that they were no longer able to do. They were supposed to take care of their own problems, keep things from getting too out of control. That's why we have the temple guards. That's why we have... You know, the Sanhedrin and all these kind of structures in place so that the Jews ought to just take care of themselves and not be a bother to Pontius Pilate. Otherwise, they might come in and have to clean house a little bit. And so for them to come to Pontius Pilate probably came as an annoyance, as we might see in our passage here today. But it's also this confession that they aren't able to do the thing that they want to by themselves. But we start out here by seeing first their religious hypocrisy. They were told that it's early morning and they did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled. Now in the Jewish ceremonial laws, if you were to enter into the house of a Gentile, or in this case the headquarters of a Roman Magistrate, you would have become ceremonially unclean. You wouldn't have been able to go to the temple for a number of days until you became ritually clean again. What's so interesting about this statement here is that they don't go into the temple. They don't go, I mean, they don't go into his headquarters so that they won't be defiled, so that they can do what? So that they can eat the Passover. These religious men who have plotted in secret, who have subverted the whole justice system of the people of Israel, who in their zeal for power, their rejection of Jesus, they want to put him to death. And they're going to do it in a way that they view will keep them ceremonially clean. They are plotting murder while keeping ceremonial laws. They have no qualm about putting Jesus to death the day before the Passover. 
That won't make them unclean. But what would make them unclean is to go into the Roman headquarters. It's as absurd as a murderer disinfecting his knife before stabbing his victim so that they don't get an infection. Or following the speed limit on the way to the bank to rob it. They are keeping these lesser laws. They are having a facade that they are upholding the religious beliefs of the Old Testament, the temple system, and at the same time, they are murderous in their hearts. They are putting to death the very Son of God. And so we see this great religious hypocrisy. Wanting to participate in the Passover, they find a way to commit their sin in a way that wouldn't publicly defile them before others. And just as they prosecute Jesus secretly at night. They quickly hand him off to Pilate in a way that keeps their hands clean. We move on in chapter, uh, verse 29 to see how their judicial hypocrisy takes form. So they won't go in to see Pilate. So he comes out to them and he says, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they have a big laundry list. They've written up a charge and a case against him. No, no, not at all. If this man were not doing evil, would we have delivered him over to you? We don't have to explain ourselves, Pilate. Just kill this guy, please. They have no accusation to bring him to the Romans. They have no cause to have Pilate get involved from his perspective. Why are you bringing this man to me? And they have no answer. They aren't interested in justice. They're interested in getting rid of Jesus. Pilate says to them, look, take him yourself and judge him by your own law. Ah, Clearly, there is no reason for me to get involved. If you can't even tell me what this man has done, just that he is generically doing evil, Why must I get involved? And they respond that it's not lawful for them to put him, put anyone to death. And this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. We have this people of God, these religious leaders, the ones who are supposed to execute justice in the land of Israel. And instead of doing it themselves, instead of bringing it before the elders, instead of publicly showing how wrong Jesus did, they abdicate all of their authority and they pass over the right to judgment over to the Gentiles. over to the wicked rulers that they despised so much. Ironically, the death penalty was certainly allowed in the Old Testament laws. 
But the Romans took that power away from them, I'm sure, in large part to agitate them. And so they weren't allowed to even do the things that they ought to have done because they are being oppressed by this government. And at the time, people were tired of the Roman oppression. They wanted Rome to get off of their back. At least that's how they would have presented themselves. But here we see the people in the highest places of authority giving their authority to them. Looking for the aid from the Gentiles, from the Romans. We're told that this is to fulfill the way, the way in which Jesus spoke of how he was going to die. Remember, Jesus said that the Son of Man was going to be lifted up. And so, in God's providence, once again, Jesus is in control. We went over that a couple of weeks ago. And as this is taking place, perhaps they could have executed Jesus secretly, and Pilate would have been none the wiser. But here... In God's sovereign plan to fulfill what Jesus had said, he would be handed over to be crucified. And it is only the Romans who would have crucified their criminals. It would not have been the Jews. And for the Jewish leaders at this time, it is just a convenient way to wash their hands of Jesus. They don't want to be judicious. They don't want to fulfill their role as leaders. They don't want to explain the law. They don't want to be put to the test in public. They just want the Romans to do their job for them. Pilate doesn't know exactly what to do, so he goes and he brings his own little interrogation to Jesus in verse 33. He enters and says to Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? I can't imagine the way in which he would have said most of what he's going to say in our passage today, but even this idea that there was a king of the Jews. Remember, Pilate is the most powerful man in the region. Now he is bound and brought to him and sitting here on trial, and he says, Oh, are you the king of the Jews? A Jewish king? I didn't know there was a Jewish king. If anything, Pilate would have been the closest, not to mention Caesar being king over the entire empire. Would have been a laughable idea. Jesus asks him, do you say this on your own accord or do others say it about me? And Pilate responds, in a way that essentially we could say this, this way. Look, I don't know and I don't care. Why did they bring you to me? I'm not a Jew. The people who are in charge brought you to me. What have you done? Why are you here? I don't care if you claim to be a king. It doesn't matter who said it. And this is where we begin to understand kingdom truth. Where Jesus reveals to us what his kingdom is like, who he is, and how it interacts with our world. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting and I'm, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. 
and we begin to get a sense of what the nature of Christ's kingdom is. As he stands before the most powerful man in the region, a representative of the most powerful empire in the world, as Jesus is being proclaimed as the king in an ironic way by the religious leaders, by Pilate here, he begins to show us what his kingdom is truly like. And he says his kingdom is not of this world. What does Jesus mean by his kingdom not being of this world? Well, he tells us that if his kingdom was of this world, if it was his intent to overtake the Romans, if it was his intent to take over Pilate, if it was his intent to become the high priest of Israel, well, then his disciples would have been fighting. He wouldn't have stopped Peter when he took out his sword to cut off the high priest's servant's ear. Jesus is not here to build some sort of earthly rule and reign. He has not come to do what so many at the time thought that the Messiah was going to come to do, and that was to rise up and revolt in a military campaign against the Romans and establishing forever the throne of David in Jerusalem in an earthly way, here and now. But Jesus says his kingdom is something different than that. It's not of this world. Jesus isn't building a military here. He is not trying to build an empire here. His kingdom is of no threat in a physical way to Pilate. Reminds us of Ephesians chapter 6, where the Apostle Paul reminds us this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, we are not wrestling with flesh and blood. The Romans aren't the enemy. The religious leaders aren't the enemy of the kingdom of God. It is wickedness and darkness and the evil one and the forces at work in this world. As John has provided for us these two categories, the evil world and the kingdom of God. Jesus' kingdom. It's not temporary. It's not like the kingdoms of this world. Pilate goes on to say, so you are a king. Jesus says, you say that I am a king. And for this purpose, I was born. By the way, if Jesus ever says, for this purpose, I did something, we ought to really perk up our ears. This is why Jesus was born. One of the reasons why Jesus was born. And this is the purpose why he came into the world. Why the Son of God would leave heaven and become a man and enter into our world. To bear witness to the truth. To bear witness to the truth. It seems anticlimactic. Once again, you, you, you are a Jew at this time and you begin to follow Jesus and you're a zealot and you want to see 
your people delivered from oppression, and you want to see the throne of David reestablished. You want to see victory in the moment. And Jesus says, this is why I came into the world. This is why I was born, to bear witness to the truth. Of course, Jesus has talked about truth a lot in this gospel. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is revealing to us, to them, the truth about who God is, the truth about the Father, the truth about the way things truly are in the world, the wickedness and the way of salvation. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus has come as a final voice of truth. Pilate says to him, What is truth? Not a sincere question, by the way. Jesus does not get to answer it. It is certainly a sarcastic question. One that perhaps is common in our day because postmodernism is not a new idea. The idea that there's some sort of absolute truth that we can know something about the way things truly are or God himself. The fact that Jesus claims to have some sort of grasp on truth that he can proclaim and bear witness to is absurd to Pilate. It's absurd to people in our day if we claim to be people of the truth, claim to to have some sort of understanding, though not all of it figured out. What is truth? Truth does not even exist. All that Pilate knows is pragmatism. What works? All Pilate knows is power. The kingdoms of this world run on power, not truth. But the kingdom of Jesus Christ is one that is rooted in the truth. Pilate leaves. He goes back outside and he says to the Jews, I find no guilt in him. And we begin to see the judicial hypocrisy once again. The Jews came up with this case, and they want to put Jesus to death. And even a man who hates the Jewish people, who is violent, probably very unjust, shows himself to be more righteous, more faithful than the Jewish leaders. didn't agree with Jesus. In fact, Jesus said he was a king, and it didn't upset him. He didn't care one bit about who Jesus was. I find no guilt in him. But I have a custom. Every year I'll release to you one man at the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? Pilate, in his contrast with their injustice, even gives them an opportunity to correct their wrong. It's probably too late to just take Jesus back in a 
you know, procedural way. He says, hey, look, there's nothing wrong with this man, and I will even let him go. But they cried out, not this man, but Barabbas. Barabbas was a robber. They chose their king in that moment. These men who have sought to put Jesus to death chose their king. They chose their Passover lamb, and it was a robber. So what does this passage have to do for us? How can this passage be relevant to our context? Well, I think we can go through our points today and make some pretty clear parallels. First, we talked about the religious leaders and their religious hypocrisy. Their desire to remain ceremonially clean while at the same time conspiring to murder. We all have inconsistencies in our lives. We all claim certain things in our lives and then at the same time act in ways which are heinously against them. Of course, this is often one of the things that is spoken against the church, that it's just full of hypocrites. And in many ways, we have to own the idea that we are hypocrites because we are not righteous on our own. We are those who claim to be sinners who are forgiven. But at the same time, we who claim to belong to the Lord Jesus Christ maximize certain things, minimizing others, seeking to look righteous, to participate outwardly in a way that people can see, and at the same time disregarding the weightier things, being content to let those things go. As long as we can continue to participate in a way that makes us feel okay, then it's fine. But that's not the way it ought to be for us. As the Spirit is at work driving the truth of the gospel deeper into our hearts, our hypocrisy should drive us more and more into humility, more and more into repentance. We are not to be content with some sort of superficial level of ceremonially clean participation. Secondly, the judicial hypocrisy that we see in this day is certainly prevalent in our own. We are continually bombarded by stories and facts and figures and statistics that are continually changing by the day. In fact, whatever your position is, you can find hundreds of articles to back it up, even though it might be conflicting with the other hundreds of articles that other people can find. And I think too often the case is that we don't want the facts. The people at the time when Jesus was alive, these men who were handing him over, they heard what he said, but they didn't want to know the truth. They didn't want to know the facts. They simply wanted to be right. As the people of God, as those people who claim to belong to this system, this holy, righteous God, they 
weren't interested in facts or justice. They were interested in being right and getting rid of Jesus. I know it is my temptation to find my own echo chamber where I think I'm right. And when faced with things that disagree with my positions, I would like to just pretend they don't exist. And instead to continue to feed myself with the things that tell me that I am right. But that is not what God has called us to do. We are called to judge rightly. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul exhorts the church there. He says, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you, not con- in- are you incompetent to try trivial cases? One of the marks of the church, as the Apostle Paul is writing, is that they ought to be people who understand how to judge rightly. That they ought not to go to this ungodly court to work things out in the church. And so we look at our passage today. And they aren't trying Jesus. They are just handing him over to these unbelieving Gentile Romans. We ought to be people who understand the most what justice looks like, what judging looks like, what it looks like to want to know the facts. I don't have anything in particular that I'm driving home to you today. But we all have those tendencies to just double down on our positions, to find even in that moment when Pilate says, hey, by the way, you can get out of this. You can admit you are wrong. You can accept the king of the Jews back. Oh, our sinful hearts call us back to double down, to be right, to be justified in our own eyes rather than to be people who know how to judge rightly. It is the need of our day related to these things, related to our religious hypocrisy, related to our judicial hypocrisy, is our kingdom confusion. Where do we most identify ourselves as citizens? The Bible says that we are strangers and aliens, that we ought to be longing for our home that is not of this world. How often do we confuse our own kingdom and the kingdoms of our world with the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ? It can take many forms. It can look like nationalism. It can look like a nostalgic remembrance of the way things used to be. It can be a hope for some sort of earthly glory days that are to come. If we could only accomplish this thing, then the world would be perfect. A hope that is ultimately residing in earthly kingdoms will always leave us disappointed. 
to be sure, in the new heavens and the new earth, in the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is no presidential election and there is no Supreme Court to be filled. And the Bible Time and time again, as you read through the Psalms, as you read through the indictments, as the people of God are trusting in other things, it calls them back to trust in the Lord. Perhaps we can see our own hypocrisy. I hope you can. I hope you understand that I am just as bad at all these things as anybody else. That I place my hope in earthly kingdoms. That I am a hypocrite. That I would just want to be right. But that temptation, when we are given the opportunity to repent and to turn, and when we double down, we, like these religious leaders, We choose a different king. We choose Barabbas, whatever that might be for us in our moment. Because we know that if we look to Christ, if we belong to him, it's going to be painful. It's painful for us to look at our hypocrisy. It's painful for us to realize when we are wrong. It's painful for us to hope in something that isn't right here and now. But that's the good news of the gospel. That Jesus, as he goes and is turned over to the Romans, as he is betrayed by the people he came to save, He shows us that his kingdom is not merely something not of this world, that it's not going to have any room for these types of people. No, Jesus wins for us in his kingdom a place for those who are hypocrites, those who have judged falsely, those who have confused his kingdom with the kingdom of this world. People like Peter who took up a sword that they might fight against what is going to happen. Jesus' kingdom is one of truth and one of grace. Remember in our confession of, of faith today, the law came through Moses. But grace and truth came through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is his kingdom. It is one of grace. It is one that calls us back as we read passages like this, as we see hypocrisy in our church, in our own hearts, in other people's lives. Draws us back to the king who bears witness to the truth. To turn from our hypocrisy. To turn from our injustices. To turn from our hope and loyalty in the nations of this world. And instead to return to dependence on our Lord Jesus Christ. To live lives as those who are strangers and aliens not caught up in the systems of our world, unobjective to what's really going on, and instead those who have been redeemed and called out, whose ultimate citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. 
as we look at our passage today, and it sets the tone for us as we go further into Pilate's uh, trial of Jesus. And ultimately, as Christ is going to be crucified, it continues to show us the glory of his kingdom, that the one who was unjustly turned over, the one who can truly make you clean and yet was given a way that they might not be defiled, is the one who can make us clean, the one who can declare us righteous, not because of our cleanliness or our righteousness, but because of his. May we trust in him. May we look to his kingdom. May we strive to understand more deeply how we participate in this already not yet world. As we live in the kingdom, not of this world, and yet labor on here in our moment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords, that he brings redemption for sinful hypocrites, religiously hypocrites, judicial hypocrites, people who are confused about the kingdom like us. Lord, help us to be those who can hear the truth and that when the truth comes, it would change us Help us to be people who find our ultimate hope in Christ and in his kingdom. It's in his name we pray. Amen.